Okay, right now we're in the category of a good talking to, and the podcast that you're gonna, you will be listening to is on how rumors and gossip can affect a school climate. <clears throat> now, I'm not completely convinced that everybody understands what rumors, gossip, and complaining can do to a school or a family or an organization. Because most times, people, when they start to gossip or they start to spread rumors, they do it in very professional terms. And they believe that they're doing it in a way that is going to help the system, help the school. And in reality, it's not. See, we could be talking about what we believe our administration can do. Or we could be talking about, you know, these kids today, if they would just listen, or if the parents would take more responsibility for their kids, and we start to talk about this, and what we're doing professionally is raising a problem but we don't present any solution and therein lies a clear definition of what gossip is gossip is bringing up a problem but offering no solution when we do this the and oftentimes with with rumors when we start to talk about either what's going on with one of uh, our colleagues or an administrator first of all we only have part of the uh part of the conversation that may have occurred with with someone else we only have part of the story so what we end up doing is talking about something of which the end result has nothing to do with us and complaining is something that we do out of sheer frustration with an agenda. Then the agenda usually is ours. We'll start to complain about how we ended up with uh, bus duty or how we felt slighted or how someone um, may have uh, made a comment about us and we start to complain about what's going on in the school building again of which we have a responsibility to make the change but we'd rather complain about it so we have to really get a handle on what's going on and I'm going to give you an example of how this can go on in a classroom now we talk in greater detail about this uh, in the course that's in the category of the Bullyproof Classroom, which is a five-hour course where I've devoted a lot of time to this. But for our purposes here, this is a 30- to 60-minute podcast. I'm going to be giving you sort of like the highlights of this problem. Now, we all know that we're, we're in a... a an age today where 
everyone is included. We have the inclusion movement. And I'm not completely convinced that I agree with the whole thing because of the planning and preparation that's involved. Uh, because you're working with three or four levels in one classroom, and that can become unmanageable sometimes. And you have to plan for a lot of different levels. But what I do know is that there's usually two or three teachers in the same classroom. You could have the inclusion teacher, you could have uh, an elementary teacher or a content area teacher. You, in some instances, you may have a uh, an aide in the room. You may have an aide designed for one kid in the room. So you literally could have multiple people in one classroom. And let's just say I am the teacher and I'm up at the board and I write something like 2 plus 2 equals 5. We know that's wrong. And I keep on going with my math lesson. But in the back of the room either an inclusion teacher or an aide or something like that, says, Mr. Burns, 2 plus 2 is 4. And I look at them, and I turn around, and I go, oh, thank you. And I go up and I erase the board, and I change my answer. Now, that may have been the second or third time that that happened this week or this month. Doesn't matter. What matters is, I am getting upset about being corrected in public, in front of the students. But I don't say anything. I don't say anything because I don't want to start any trouble. I don't say anything because my personality is one that is just non-confrontational, and I don't know how to have what's called a productive conflict. So what happens is, I say nothing. I say nothing outwardly, inwardly I'm reacting. Now the bell may ring, or the kids may go to lunch, or I get a break. And I leave the room. And as I'm walking down the hall, I come across a colleague, a friend of mine, who says, Hey, Jim, how you doing? And my comment to this colleague is, and we'll say that the person that made the correction in the classroom's name was Mary. My comment to my colleague is, You know, I am so fed up with Mary. This is the third time this week that she's corrected me in front of the class I'm telling you I'm tired of it the next time that I hear anything from her when do you see what I'm going to say to her I am sick of it now but listen do me a favor don't say anything to anybody and just so you know you're the only person I'm telling but in reality I've told four other people already and I have to make 
the person that I'm sharing this information with feel special. How do you make people feel special? What do you do? You make them believe that they are on the inside on some real down and dirty information. So don't say anything. You're the only one that knows. Well, everybody knows. At least three or four other people know. But I'm letting you know. And I've told the same thing to those other three or four people. So, what happens? I gave the information to one individual. I actually gave it to four. Things start to spread around the school. Hey, have you heard what happened? What's going on in Burns' classroom? He's got a problem with Mary. What did Mary do? And somebody explains what, what she did. They take the information and they, they share it with somebody else. You see, here's the point that I'll make to you. If someone is going to give you information... If you hear it, you own it. But you don't want to own it because it's touchy information that causes you to almost swell up when you have it and it becomes too much for you to contain. As a matter of fact, you probably felt guilty even listening to it or saying anything to somebody else and that guilt starts to build up and you got to get rid of it so what you do is you dump it off on somebody the minute somebody says to you i got to tell you something but promise you won't say anything to anybody else your statement should be don't tell me because no one can make that promise now as this information starts to circle around the school what begins to happen is people, certain people, not all, will end up taking up an offense for you against Mary. And people may stop talking to her. People may, in their mind, be reacting inwardly. They may give her the cold shoulder things can happen. Now, I'm giving you a very basic example about this, but the bottom line is there are bigger things that get shared in a school, and by the time this whole thing goes full circle, let me share with you what's happened. Number one, cliques get formed, where you have certain people that are for Mary and certain people that are against Mary, Everyone starts to draw conclusions based upon small amounts of information. All of a sudden, there's something wrong with Mary. There's really nothing wrong with Mary. But, and, but people will begin to look for evidence to support their belief that Mary's got a problem if she's correct and burns in front of the class. So before you know it, she has a marital problem she's sick, she has a medical issue, and this starts to build and grow. And in reality, the only thing that Mary did was make the mistake of, of 
correcting me in front of the class, and I'm not even sure it was a mistake. Quite frankly, I made it, but no one likes to get corrected in front of others, especially teachers. This type of thing, this type of thing happens in schools, families, communities, all over. And what we have to do, number one, is when someone comes to you and says, hey, can I tell you something? Promise you won't say anything to anybody else. We have to say, no, don't tell me. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to own it. Whatever it is, you work it out. And that's hard to do because we feel very special receiving that information. The other thing that it does is it puts us in a position sometimes where if it's common to our school that we will do it and we will not only start talking about our colleagues, we'll start talking about administration. And the biggest problem that I have is when we start to complain about our students in the faculty room. Because you'll find kids who have the same students you have who enjoy complaining. And as we, the more we talk about those students, we lower our expectations because we figure there's no hope. And we have to learn that we're responsible for the education of those students. We're responsible for the information that we've received from other people. And we have to handle it in a professional manner. And quite frankly, the, some things are better left unsaid. And all the complaining and all of the gossiping and all of the rumors, all it does is take the focus off of us and the things that we could be doing to be part of the solution. Because once it starts, once the match gets lit, it's too difficult it's much too difficult to put out the fire. Now, what can I do in this situation? I get corrected in front of the class. There's something that's called a productive conflict that nobody wants to have because we are not a confrontational society. We don't want to confront somebody because we're, we don't want to have the argument. We're too nervous. We're too frightened. We don't want to have this discussion. But a productive conflict is something that you have with someone where you leave enough space in the conversation for a disagreement. That's what you want to have done. That's what you want to do. Look, Mary, I just want to let you know that I appreciate the fact that you correct me. Because especially when my stuff is, my answers are wrong up at the board. But can you do me a favor and not do it in front of the kids? That's it. You say something to the person that you have the problem with not to somebody else. 
That is all you have to do. And half of the time, we start to draw conclusions about what somebody says to us, about their personality, about why they're doing it. And most of the conclusions that we draw are 80% imagined. We imagine it. We obsess about it. We go home thinking about it. And this, was, this could have been a very honest comment to me, mistake, whatever you want to call it. And all I had to do was say thank you very much because I think what starts to happen is we begin to believe that they're questioning my academic ability because I don't know that 2 plus 2 is 4. It Sometimes when we feel slighted by someone else, it's just imagined. They're not trying to hurt us. They may even be trying to help us. And we have to be more aware of that. And we have a productive conflict. And we let this thing die right where it is. We don't take it outside our classroom or outside uh, and um, our little circle of influence, sharing it with other people all over the place because it does nothing to promote a positive school climate. I want to close with this very uh, short story about a student named Randy and about what happened to me in a classroom when I had Randy in my class. Randy was a kid who I had in the early 80s. And I've changed the names here, obviously. Hyperactive, 18 years old, thought that he was Fonzie, for those of you who remember Happy Days, leather coat, hair slicked back. I got him a job in Sears changing oil in a car, and he raced cars around the garage so fast that he, he wrecked two cars. Needless to say, he got fired. And his thing, when he came into my classroom, because I had a ceiling light that had a chain hanging down from it, he would try to kick that. He would jump up as high as he could and kick it. He did break it twice. And I had no success with him. I was at my wit's end, but I liked him. I liked him. Not a bad kid. Nice con He could hold a nice conversation with him. He was scholastically challenged, as were many of the kids that I worked with. I had my first back-to-school night in this district. And I waited for the parents to come in. I only had small groups. And in walked Randy's dad. And Randy... That Randy's dad looked just like him. Same leather coat, same hair glued back, same type of persona and attitude and everything else. And I got through with that meeting and I ran 
I'm a 25-year-old teacher. I ran down to the faculty room, and I found people, and I used to I said to them, you know, I just met Randy's dad, just like his, looks just like him. Oh, my God, I don't know how the kid's going to make it. And I started complaining about the fact that Randy's dad looked like him. This, there's no hope. You know what I did? I lowered my expectations for Randy, and it was the biggest mistake that I made. We have to evaluate what we're saying, who we're saying it to, what our attitude is, what our motivation is, and if there's a problem at hand, we have to evaluate how we can be part of the solution and not part of the problem. It's our job to educate the kids in the most professional manner possible. I want us to, again to understand most times when people say something to us, whether or not we take it as a slight or whether or not we take it as an insult or whatever the case may be, 80% of the stuff that we think is happening is imagined. So if somebody says something to you, that you have a problem with before you say something to someone else. Do yourself a favor. Practice that productive conflict. Use it to your advantage. Solve the problem right then and there. And don't take it outside the classroom. Share it with others. And begin to affect the school climate by spreading rumors and gossip and complaining. This concludes this podcast.